And now, for the show reflecting on classic radio, Hollywood 360, with your host, Carl Amari. He was like a god walking amongst mere mortals. He had a voice that could make a wolverine purr, and suits so fine they made Sinatra look like a hobo. Is this your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? Really? It's really awful. But I have a lot of things that are on order. You know, credit trouble. Pay more attention to your schoolwork and listen to the radio. You always listen to the radio. It's different. Our lives are ruined already. The Whistler. Self-destruct in five seconds. Hello, everyone. I'm Carl Amari, and this is Hollywood 360, the radio show that presents the best in classic radio. This hour on Hollywood 360, it's a classic radio sci-fi adventure of X-1, starring William Redfield. Then it's part one of a classic radio comedy episode of The Milton Berle Show. With me to help present these classic radio shows is my co-host, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hi, Carl. And I was noticing how tall you look yes, sitting over you. there, sitting I'm right wearing, across from me. Yes. I, you know, I worked out today. And I stretched a little. I did some uh, chin-ups and things. And you probably, you know, grew a few inches. I probably did. So uh, thanks for noticing. Sure. Yep. Thanks for the compliment. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that very much. So uh, what's happening in the world of Hollywood? Well, Parade has just released its annual What People Earn issue for 2016. I like like seeing that. I know. You weren't on the list this year. What? I know. I was surprised. Oh, Um, man. But, you know, maybe for next year. I need to step it up. Um, Right. You know, you got to get your millions together. Right. Um, so some of the salaries of the country's top celebrities include Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh-huh. And now these are estimated, by the way. Right. So, I'll you take know. a guess. Leo, okay. so you're talking about 2015? Uh, yes. What he made? Yes. I'll say $115 million. Hmm. This is $29 million for Leonardo. Oh, really? Um, Man, that was a bad year for him then, Yeah, huh? well, it was a tough year. Ta- I, let's Taylor. take up a collection. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Taylor Swift, $80 million. 80 Lady Gaga. Now, here's a girl, Taylor Swift, had a hard dollars. time finding a date. Right, I mean, that's what we heard. Here, Taylor, It's my phone number is 847 847- <laughs> Keep right, going. So go on. Okay, we've got Lady Gaga at 50, $59 million. Right. Now, this is interesting. Gaga. The highest... Hey, what? The 59? highest... Who is the highest paid TV personality in the world, Kyle? Highest paid. It's a woman. She made $47 Ellen million. Ellen DeGeneres. I'm sorry. What? Is, no? No. And I wouldn't have thought of this one. That's why um, I'm testing. You get one more shot at this. Wow. She has a syndicated show that's been on the air for oh, 20 Judge years. Oh, Judge Judy. Yep. Come on. Yep. Highest Are paid. TV me? personality in the world, forty-seven Judge? million. Is she married? I don't know. Are you interested? Well, yeah, that kind of money, I'm always interested. Oh gosh, Carl, your true colors are showing. I know. Um, and Robert Downey Jr., eighty million. Wow. So here, I just have to give you a quick fact. Yeah. The average salary of an actor in the Screen Actors Guild. Average salary. Average. Yeah. None average. of these are average. Okay. Um, in a year. Yes. Okay. Um, two million. The average salary of an actor is two million. Yeah, I mean that includes me and you, oh, Carl. Oh, okay. okay. No, 
uh, twenty-five grand. Okay, it's fifty-two thousand. Okay. <laughs> and what many struggling actors make each year, more like me, a thousand dollars. Oh my so there gosh! You have it. Yeah, but you have a big-time national radio show here, right? Paying so, all those bills. So hopefully by next year it'll you know, or, a few extra zeros. I mean, on you there. know, to take care of that mansion taxes that you have, and my dog. Right. You know. All right. Thanks, Lisa Thanks, Wolf. Thanks, Carl. Okay. Time now for X minus one. It was a half-hour sci-fi series broadcast from 1955 to 1958 over NBC. It was the last attempt by a major network to sustain an adult-oriented science fiction drama anthology during the waning days of the golden age of radio. Initially a revival of NBC's Dimension X, which aired in 1950 through 51, the first 15 episodes of X-1 were new versions of Dimension X episodes, but the remainder were adaptations by NBC staff writers, including Ernest Canoy and George Lefferts, of newly published science fiction stories by leading writers in the field, including Isaac Asimov, Ray Bradbury, Philip K. Dick, Robert A. Heinlein, and Frederick Pohl, along with uh, some original works by Canoy and Lefferts. The program opened with announcer Fred Collins delivering a countdown to a rocket launch and the introduction from the far horizons of the unknown come transcribed tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. All right, Lisa, we're going to rock it off into the future now for X-1. This is from March 20th, 1957. It's called Protection. It stars William Redfield. It's heard on NBC, part one of X-1. Countdown for blast off. X-5, 4... Three, two, X minus one, fire. of the unknown come tales of new dimensions in time and space. These are stories of the future, adventures in which you'll live in a million could-be years on a thousand maybe worlds. The National Broadcasting Company, in cooperation with Galaxy's science fiction magazine, presents X minus Protection by Robert Checkley. There will be an airplane crash in Burma next week, but it shouldn't affect me here in New York. And the thieves certainly can't harm me, not with all my closet doors closed. No, the big problem is lessnerizing. I must not lessnerize, absolutely not. As you can imagine, that hampers me. And to top it all, I think I'm catching a very nasty cold. The whole thing, including the cold, started on the evening of November 7th. I was walking down Broadway on my way to Baker's Cafeteria with Charlie Lester. He's in one of my physics classes, and we were both feeling pretty lightheaded. Boy, I've had tough exams in my day, but that was... 
<laughs> you got a cold? Uh, no, no, I haven't got a cold. My eyes just water, my nose runs, and I sneeze because I'm essentially a masochist. Actually, it is psychosomatic. I hate my mother and my father. Of course I've got a cold. What do you think? I... <laughs> Well, look, look, don't give it to me. I've got a heavy date with a Barnard Jr. this weekend. My boy, there is no such thing as a heavy date with a Barnard Jr. <laughs> Never mind. Just don't blow any germs my way. Oh, well, as a matter of fact, I'll leave you completely. I have to go over to South Hall to pick up some books. So long. <laughs> At the moment Charlie left me, I had in my pocket five coins, three keys, and a book of matches. Uh, just to complete the picture, let me add that the wind was coming from the northwest at five miles per hour. Venus was in the ascendancy, and the moon decidedly gibbous. <laughs> you can draw your own conclusions from this. I reached the corner of 114th Street and began to cross. The truck! Watch out for the truck! Watch out! Huh? What truck? Who? What? Well, there's no truck on the street. What are you... Oh! Thanks, friend. If you hadn't warned me, I'd... Uh... Hey. Hey, where are you? Who said that to me? Where are you? Can you still hear me? Well, sure I can. Where are you? There isn't anybody here. Where are you? Cronish. Is that the reference? Refraction index. Creature of insubstantiality. The shadow knows. Did I pick the right one? What, you... You're invisible? That's it, that's it, that's it. I knew the concept was somewhere in you. Well, I will... Well... What are you? A Valadusian dirk. A valid... A, a what? I am... Uh, would you mind opening your larynx a little wider, please? You see, I am using your sub-vocalizations to communicate. Now, breathe deeply. That's it. That's it. Oh, that's better. Well... But see now, I am the spirit of Christmas past, a creature from the Black Lagoon, the bride of Frankenstein. Now, wait, hold on. What are you trying to tell me, that you're a ghost or a creature from another planet? Same thing, obviously. Oh, well, that makes it all perfectly clear. Any fool can see that a disembodied voice must belong to someone from another planet. Exactly. I'm invisible on Earth, but my superior senses spotted approaching danger and warned you of it. Well, thanks. <laughs> thanks anyway about that. Well, what are you, one of those strange voices that warns Aunt Minnie to stay out of the elevator, which then crashes to the basement? Something like that. <laughs> well, goodbye. What's the matter? Well, not a thing, except that I seem to be standing in the middle of 114th Street talking to an invisible alien from the farthest reaches of outer space. I suppose only I can hear you. Well, naturally. Oh, great. Well, you know where this sort of thing will land me. The concept you are sub-vocalizing is not entirely clear. Now, look, please, go back to one of my childhood traumas where you came from and let me alone. Uh, thanks for the warning about the truck. Good night. Where are you going? I am going to a saloon down the street much frequented by Columbia students. Won't you talk with me? Look, please, will you cut it out? There are two girls watching me now. But you must talk to me. The real sub-vocal contact is very rare and astonishingly difficult. Sometimes I can get across a warning just before a dangerous moment, but then the connection fades. You mean that is the explanation of premonitions of danger? That's right. Conditions might not be right for this kind of 
contact for another hundred years. <laughs> Look, this is very interesting stuff for Professor Ryan at North Carolina, not for the physics department at Columbia. I have heard statistics about the overcrowding of mental hospitals, and I am not interested in contributing to that condition. Besides, there's a cop looking at me. I appreciate your social situation, but this contact with me is in your own best interest. I want to protect you from the myriad dangers of human existence. Get lost. Well, I can't force you. I'll just have to offer my services elsewhere. Goodbye, friend. Uh, goodbye. Oh, just one last thing. Stay off subways tomorrow between noon and 1.15 p.m. Mm -hmm. Why? Someone will be killed at Columbus Circle, pushed in front of a train by shopping crowds. You, if you're there. Goodbye. No, what, what, someone will be killed there tomorrow? Are you sure? Of course. It'll be in the newspapers? <laughs> I should imagine so. And you know all sorts of stuff like that? I can perceive all the dangers that radiate toward you and extend into time. My one desire was to protect you from them. Oh. Well, uh, look, will you wait till tomorrow evening? Those two girls are giggling now. You will let me be your protector? I'll tell you tomorrow after I read the late papers. <laughs> The item was there, all right. I read it in my furnished room at 113th Street. Man pushed by the crowd, lost his balance, fell in front of an oncoming train. Well, this gave me a lot to think about while I waited for my invisible protector to show up. By the time he contacted me, I didn't know that I liked the whole idea. Don't you trust me? I just want to lead a normal life. If you lead any life at all. That truck last night? That was a freak. A once-in-a-lifetime hazard. It only takes once-in-a-lifetime to die. There was the subway, too. Oh, well, that doesn't count. I hadn't planned on riding it today. But you had no reason not to ride it. That's the important thing. Just as you have no reason not to take a shower in the next hour. Why shouldn't I? A Miss Flynn who lives down the hall is now taking her shower and will leave a melting bar of pink soap on the pink tile of the bathroom floor. You would have slipped on it and suffered a sprained wrist. Oh, uh, not fatal, huh? No. Hardly in the same class with, uh, let us say, a heavy flower pot pushed from a rooftop by a certain unstable old gentleman. Well, uh, when is that going to happen? I thought you weren't interested. I am very interested. When? Where? Will you let me continue to protect you? Well, now, just tell me one thing. What's in this for you? Satisfaction. For a Valadusian Derg, the greatest thrill possible is to help another creature evade danger. Isn't there something else you want out of this? Some trifle like my soul or rulership of the earth? Nothing. To accept payment for protection would ruin the emotional experience. All I want out of life, all any Derg wants, is to protect someone from the dangers he cannot see, but which we can see all too well. We don't even expect gratitude. Hmm. What about the flower pot? It'll be dropped at the corner of 10th Street and McAdams Boulevard at 10.30 tomorrow morning. Uh, 10th and McAdams. Where's that? In Jersey City. But I've never been to Jersey City in my life. Why warn me about that? I don't know where you will or won't go. I merely perceive dangers to you wherever they may occur. What should I do now? Anything you wish. Just 
Lead your normal life. It started out well enough. I attended classes at Columbia, did homework, saw movies, went on dates, played table tennis and chess all as before. At no time did I let on that I was under the protection of a Valadusian derg. <laughs> Even Charlie didn't notice it, though he had a pretty good excuse. Boy, are you lucky. I got stuck in that elevator for four hours. Say, how come you walked? I never saw you volunteer to walk five flights before. Oh, well, a little bird told me. Oh, boy, I wish I... I wish I had a little bird like that. Why don't you do something for that cold? Why should I? What's it ever done for me? Not even the derg had warned me about Charlie's bad jokes in time. But he did his best. And once or twice a day, he'd come around and report. Loose grading on West End Avenue between 66 and 67 streets. Go walk on it. Of course, I wouldn't. Once I got used to it, it gave me quite a feeling of security. But the derg soon became overzealous on my behalf. He began finding more and more dangers. Look out for an overhanging sign on the Hotel National. Where? 48th Street? Mexico City. Don't go to the hockey game tonight. Where? At Toronto. Look out for the Elm Street bus. Philadelphia? Omaha. Don't go surf riding today. What? Surf riding? Where? Papiti. Now, just wait a minute. Do you plan on reporting every potential danger on Earth? Oh, these are only a few, only a very few that you may be affected by. In Mexico City, in Papiti, why not confine yourself to the local picture? Greater New York, let's say. Locale means nothing to me. I must protect you from everything. Well, it was rather touching in a way. And there was nothing I could do about it. I simply had to discard from his reports the various dangers in places like Hoboken, Thailand, Kansas City, Angervat, Sarasota, and Paris. I concentrated pretty much on Manhattan. He did save me from a pretty nasty holdup on Cathedral Parkway and a four-alarm fire. But he kept stepping up the pace. Tainted food in Baker's Cafeteria. Don't eat there tonight. Amsterdam Bus 312 has bad brakes. Don't ride it. Mellon's Tailor Shop has a leaking gas line. Explosion due. Have your clothes dry cleaned elsewhere. Rabbit Mongrel on prowl between Riverside Drive and Central Park West. Take a taxi. Soon I was spending most of my time not doing things and avoiding places. Danger seemed to be lurking behind every lamppost waiting for me. I rather suspected the derg of padding his report. All my reports are perfectly genuine. If you don't believe me, try turning on your lights in the psychology class tomorrow. Why? Defective wiring. Look, I don't doubt your warnings. I just don't think life was this dangerous before you came along. Well, of course it wasn't. Surely you know that if you accept protection, you must accept the drawbacks of protection as well. Drawbacks like what? <sighs> protection begets the need of further protection. That is a universal constant. Before you met me, you were like everyone else, and you ran into such risks as the situation offered. But with my coming, your immediate environment has changed, and your position in it has changed, too. Why? Because it has me in it. 
It is well known that the avoidance of one danger opens the path to others. Are you trying to tell me that my risks have increased because of your help? It was unavoidable. Why, you miserable extraterrestrial con man. No. All right, all right. Thanks for everything. <laughs> I'll see you on Mars or wherever you hang out. You don't want any further protection? You guessed it. Don't slam the door on your way out. But what's wrong? Your risks have increased, but my capacity for detection is more than ample to cope with it. I'm happy to cope with it. So it still represents a net gain in protection for you. Yeah, I know what happens next. My risks just keep on increasing, don't they? Not at all. As far as accidents are concerned, you have reached the quantitative limit. What does that mean? It means that there will be no further increase in the number of accidents you must avoid. Look, if you leave me alone, my original environment will return, won't it? And with it, my original risks? Eventually. If you survive. Fine, I'll take that chance. You cannot afford to send me away tomorrow. No, no, don't tell me. I'll avoid the accidents on my own. I wasn't thinking of accidents. What then? I... I hardly know how to tell you. A gamper is after you. Oh, a gamper? A what? Now, what kind of a gag is this? A gamper is a creature from my environment. Hmm. I suppose he was attracted by your increased potentiality for avoiding risk due to my protection. Now, look, you can take your gamper. If he comes, try driving him off with mistletoe. Uh, iron is often effective if bonded to copper. Will you get out of here? Are you sure? Beat it. Blow, scram, get out, go on. All right. All right. Goodbye. Goodbye. Are you gone? Are you really gone? <sighs> Good riddance. What, what's that? Dirk, is that you? Hey, your motor's running. Dirk? What is it? What is that? What is that? Oh, it's the gamper. Dirk, get me out of this. Dirk! Dirk, get me out! Dirk, come back! Dirk! Did you call? Oh, the gamper. Uh, mistletoe, mistletoe, wave it at the gamper. Where it blazes am I going to get mistletoe? Iron copper, then. Copper, copper. Oh, I've got a paperweight on my desk. The chair like is iron. Touch it with the copper. Quick! <laughs> You see? You need my protection. The gamper almost got you. Yes. Yes, it sure did. <sighs> You'll need some things. Uh, wolfbane, amaranth, garlic, graveyard mold. But, but, but the gamper is gone. Yes, yes. However, the grailers remain, and you'll need safeguard against the leaps, the figs, and the melgarizer. I'll give you a list. <laughs> and I went shopping. I uh, ran into Charlie at the supermarket. Hey, Bob! Where you been? Wolfbane, amaranth, garlic, garlic. They must have garlic. Oh, sure, they got garlic over here. Uh, uh, uh. Oh. Well, I guess you know what I came in for. Uh, tissues. What else? <laughs> yeah, well, now let me see. Oh. Uh, graveyard mold, graveyard mold. You think they'd have it here? Hey, boy, what's the matter with you? You look white as a ghost. I am white as a gamper, or a grailer, or a leap, or a fig. Well, what is that, jive talk? Please, please, Charlie, don't bother me. I'm busy. All right. <laughs> Who has the nearest graveyard that would be moldy this time of year? 
And that's the first portion of X-1 from March 20th, 1957 with Protection, starring William Redfield. Let's take a break here, and when we return, it's more on the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. I'm Dan Jaffe, CEO of Cat's Pride Fresh and Light Premium Cat Litter. Ever wonder how a falling cat can always land on her feet? We'll find out after this. Hi, I'm Katherine Heigl, film and television actress and producer and CEO of the Jason Debus Heigl Foundation. A supporter of animal rights, our foundation is excited to announce our partnership with Cat's Pride Cat Litter. Cat's Pride has always been a major supporter of the organizations like the American Humane Association and the Anti-Cruelty Society. And today, a portion of every sale of Cat's Pride Fresh and Light Ultimate Care will be donated to support our work protecting the rights and eliminating the needless suffering of animals in shelters across the country. It's great litter and it supports a great cause. Felines have aerial riding reflex, a sense of balance that allows them to reposition themselves in midair so they land feet first. This innate talent is a crucial part of their survival skills. It's also one of the reasons people believe cats have nine lives. Log on to CatsPride.com to download coupons and be sure to join the Cats Pride Club. Painful shingles, cracked fingers, red, itchy, flaky skin, eczema, wounds that won't heal. The list goes on and on for irritating and painful skin conditions. Start the healing today with all-natural Epizen Skin Gel. Recommended by doctors and proven to heal skin, Epizen is guaranteed to work or your money back. Use code RADIO to get $10 off with free shipping by going to Epizen.com. That's E-P-I-Z-Y-N.com. Or call toll-free 844-Z-I-N-C for us. Now back to the best in classic radio on Hollywood 360. Welcome back. I'm Carl Amari, Lisa Wolf to my right, Mike Costello to my left. That's my team here on Hollywood 360. want to remind everyone we have a website. It's Hollywood360radio.com. We also have a Facebook page. Just hop on Facebook, as Mike always says, and you can search Hollywood360radio.com. And please like us, right? Yes, I like you. And there's thou thank you, I like you too. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of pictures of Lisa Wolf there. So Yeah, maybe make we're sure gonna add another out. one today because yes. I'd like to uh uh, put a picture up with our friend Roy, who we're going to be talking to. Absolutely. Sounds good. All right, let's get uh, back now to the conclusion to Protection, starring William Redfield on X-1. It was a game between these extraterrestrials, and I was in it. Some of them wanted to kill me, some to protect me. None of them cared for me, not even the dirt. And the situation was all my fault. At the beginning, I had had the accumulated wisdom of the human race at my disposal. That tremendous and distinctive hatred of witches and ghosts. The irrational fear of alien life. For my adventure has been played out a thousand times. And the story is told again and again. How a man dabbles in strange arts and summons up a spirit. By so doing, he attracts attention to himself. The worst thing of all. So I was welded inseparably to the dirt, and the dirt to me. Until yesterday, that is. Charlie came to my room to visit. Hey, boy, how you been? I haven't seen you in class for a while. <laughs> oh, you mind if I hang up my coat? No, 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 don't. No, don't open the closet door. Well, what's the matter? What's in there? Nothing, nothing. Only that's the only way to hold off the thieves by keeping closet doors closed. 
The leaps are more menacing, but the eye of a toad seems to stop them. And uh, the Melgarizer is dangerous only in the full of the moon. Only in the... Uh-huh. Well, Bob, it's been grand. Bye. You are in danger. What? Who? What again? What is it this time? It is the Thrang who pursues us. Us? Yes. Yes, myself as well as you. For even a dirt must run from risk and danger. Well, is this Thrang particularly dangerous? Uh, very. Well, what do I do? Snakeskin over the door? A pentagon? Burn incense? Anything? None of these. The Thrang must be dealt with negatively by the avoidance of certain actions. All right, all right. What shouldn't I do? You must not lessnerize. I must... Lesnerize? What's that? Well, surely you know it's a simple, everyday human action. Well, I probably know it under a different name. Explain. Very well. To Lesnerize is to... What? It is here. The Thrang. The Thrang is here. Dirt. Dirt, where are you? What should I do? It has me. What should I do? It has me. I'm going. The Thrang. I'm sitting tight now. There'll be an airplane crash in Burma next week, but it shouldn't affect me here in New York. And the Feig certainly can't harm me. Now, not with all my closet doors closed. No, the problem is lessnerizing. I must not lessnerize, absolutely not. If I can keep from lessnerizing, everything will pass and the chase will move elsewhere. It must. All I have to do is wait them out. Trouble is, I don't have any idea what lessnerizing might be. A common human action, the Dirk said. Well, at the moment, I'm avoiding as many actions as possible. I've caught up on some back sleep and nothing's happened. So that's not lessnerizing. I went out and bought food, cooked it, and ate it. That wasn't lessnerizing. I'm telling you the story. And that isn't lessnerizing. <laughs> I'll get out of this yet. I will get out of it. I'm going to catch a nap now. I think I've caught Charlie's cold. I think I'm gonna have to. You have been listening to Protection by Robert Checkley on X Minus One. X-1 is presented by the National Broadcasting Company in cooperation with Galaxy Science Fiction Magazine. Your announcer, Fred Collins. X-1 was directed by Kenneth McGregor and is an NBC Radio Network production. And that's X-1 with protection starring William Redfield from March 20th, 1957. Also in the cast, Elliot Reed and William Keene. 
as heard on NBC. That guy Keen, he was really smart. He was really keen. Really keen. Yeah, I liked him a You're lot. Keen, Carl. Thanks, Lisa. I had a lot of compliments. Yes, this week. so you ask, you get. Yeah, you ask and you shall receive. <laughs> exactly. They say that in the Bible. That's I'm pretty what they sure. Say. So you know what, Lisa? Last show we had Roy Clem with us, and he's. Stuck around. We appreciate that. And when you stick around, you know, gardening, it's kind of good, right? It's a little, it was a little, little pun there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Roy, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Carl. So uh, the company is songsparrow.com. It's a very interesting website. Roy's company ships amazing plants all over the world. And you could be uh, a recipient of a plant from Roy's company. Check out his website. Tell us a little bit more about Song Sparrow Farm. Well, we home grow everything. We try to grow it to sufficient size so when you get it, you have a garden-ready plant. We oftentimes put an extra year or two into the product to make sure it's really good. Mm. And they're all true to name, um, and they're really well roots. And we do a really careful job on packing too. So it, you know, if we're going to raise four, take four or five years to grow something, we want to ship it white, right? correctly, pack it right so you receive it correctly. Well, your family has been doing this since 1852, so right. obviously you know what you're doing, right? This is uh, about the time you got into the uh, the radio business, right, Lisa, yes, 1852? Yes, I'm finally, you know, learning yeah. how to do it. Did they even have radio back in 1852? I, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, Smoke signals. Yeah, they had something. <laughs> Smoke signals, yeah. yeah. Smoke signals. All right, so there's over a thousand different plants at the website, and you really can't go into a, a, a box store and find the variety or, or array of, of plants that uh, that Roy has, so you really should check out your website, right? Yes, yeah, so we really try to have a real unique blend of, of wonderful plants that oftentimes other people don't have. Yeah. It's real simple, too. You just go to their website, which is songsparrow.com. There's always specials going on. You have all kinds of specials. And you should check out the website often because you change that special yes, we do. weekly or uh, biweekly. And they ship anywhere in the world. So if you're listening to this program in Russia or Australia, of course, anywhere in the United States, Roy's company will ship it in. You own this company with your wife, Sarah, right? Yes, that's correct. She's the president. She's the president. And you're the vice president. That's correct. That probably makes things for getting along really well at the Clem home. Well, I, I listen to her really well, but I've got to say one thing, Carl. Our bathrooms are really clean. I'll bet you they are. Oh, I'll yes. bet you when they are. a woman owns a company, the bathrooms are clean. Very clean, yes. And uh, don't uh, leave that seat up either. Oh, that's correct. A little we, hint. We, yeah, there's a little sign Believe on the wall. Believe me, I've gotten, uh, <laughs> I've gotten browbeat for that in my, in my day. So uh, there's also helpful hints at the website. What are some of those hints? So if somebody is a gardener, you know, someone's gardening and they have a, a question, you can, they can go to your website and see all kinds of fun stuff. All right, how to plant, when to plant, different seasons for planting, uh, links to help other other companies that will help them, all those information. Oh, yeah, great links as well. That's I, right. I wanted to mention, this is a family-owned business, and because yes. of that and because it was passed through the generations, it is evident that all of the passion um, and the education that has gone into the plants and the website and your love for horticulture. Thank you, Lisa. Yes. All right, so once again, it's songsparrow.com. Just check out their website, and as I say, go back often because Roy and his wife, Sarah, they change up the specials. Uh, and, and the one plant you mentioned earlier. Uh, peonies. The pe- peonies, yes. Peonies. 
Now yes. that's obviously some. That's is that from Italy or what is that? No, no, they're originally it from sounds Italian, from China. That's Italian. And, <laughs> originally from China, a lot of them, and the Mediterranean. It's a perennial. It comes up every year. Very long-lived perennial. It's sort of a heritage kind of perennial. Now, if if one of our listeners or our listeners are going to your website, what should they look for? Should they look for a certain flower, something that you like besides that, or something that well, they should? Well, I like I like the peonies and our hemerocallus or daylilies. I've hybridized for forty-five years. And wow. I think I've I think I've named and registered eight hundred varieties, which is probably seven hundred ninety too many. Wow. But anyhow, it is yeah. what it is. Wow. All right. Well, you got to check this website out, folks. Song Sparrow, Sparrow like the bird, songsparrow.com, and the name of the company is Song Sparrow Farm. Roy Clem, thanks for coming on the show, my friend. You're welcome. It's been a our, pleasure. It's our pleasure. All right, time for the Milton Burl Show. Now, Milton Burl ran on NBC Radio from 1947 to 1948 as a half-hour comedy show where each week Burl would salute a particular topic such as income taxes, prize-fighting, gambling. And on this series, Burl brought in Arnold Stang, who would later become his TV sidekick. Let's tune in uh, this episode now of the Milton Burl Show. We're going to go back to a broadcast date of August 26, 1947. He's saluting the railroads on this. This was originally sponsored by Philip Morris Cigarettes. We've removed the cigarette commercials as heard on NBC. Part 1 of the Milton Berle Show. Due to the extreme heat in New York, Milton Berle was taken suddenly ill after the early show tonight. Therefore, the following broadcast comes to you by transcription. The Milton Berle Show. From Radio City, New York, the Milton Berle Show. With Perk Kelton, Jack Albertson, Arnold Stang, Mary Ship, Arthur Q. Bryan, Al Kelly, our singing star Dick Forney, the music of Ray Block and his orchestra, and yours truly, Frank Gallup. Ladies and gentlemen, tonight we salute the railways of America. We now bring you a man who is a great inspiration for railroad building. One look at him and you want to make tracks. And here he is, Milton Berle. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Mr. Gallup, that introduction, one look at me, you want to make tracks? <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, I appreciate all the trouble you go through just to get jokes like that. Creeping through those dark cemeteries and copying lines off tombstones. Oh, come now, Bert. No, Mr. Gallup, I really appreciate it. Imagine, imagine digging your way out of your grave every night just for that. <laughs> Well, I'm getting quite fed up with your constant references to my physical appearance. Mr. Gallup, it's all in fun. Well, I find your boorish jesting not only crass, coarse, uncouth, and acrimonious, but extremely perverse. Oh. <laughs> perverse? Yes. And just a minute ago, you said you didn't like it. <laughs> Well, I can only say of you what the great Toscanini once said of his fourth French horn player who showed up at a big concert with a leaky valve. And uh, what did he say? Graziazza lentano manacotti. Translated? Schmo. <laughs> and uh, may I add, it loses nothing in the translation. A schmo, my Mr. Gallup, that's awful. That's the first time that I've ever been called that. In Italian. <laughs> but I'm sorry, Mr. Gallup, if I've offended you. I no, really am. That, that's quite all right. Perhaps I am a bit touchy tonight. Big weekend, you know. Oh, yeah. You were up at that camp for music lovers again? Uh-huh. Camp Beethoven. And this weekend, it was riotous. 
big fun again. Eh? <laughs> it was a romp. All day Sunday we played games. You played games. Uh huh. There was a big three-legged race, and as usual, Mr. Anatole Barini of the Boston Pops Orchestra won. He always wins. He has three legs. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute, Mr. Gallagher. A man with three legs and he plays in an orchestra? Well, not really. Uh, they use him as a music stand. <laughs> oh, that's right. I remember him now. Old tripod Barini. <laughs> they used to turn him upside down, throw canvas over him, and use him as a beach umbrella. <laughs> what other games, Mr. Gallup, did you play at Camp Beethoven? Well, all Saturday night we played What Is It? That's a new game? Yes. It's called What Is It? Uh-huh. Yeah. We all sit around the campfire, and one of the guests, Ephraim Zimbalist, he plucks the E string on his violin, and we all try to guess what note it is. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yes, and if you guess right... Symbolist takes off his E string and gives it to you. Isn't that good? Have you ever won any E strings? Four in one night. <laughs> oh, you must have been hot. Well, I do declare. You do declare what? I do declare if Ephraim hadn't tried enough, enough, I would have had his rosin. Oh, no. Gosh, Mr. Gallup, you know, I could stand around here all night just listening to you. But I'm too young to die. <laughs> we have a program to do, you know. Oh, yes, that old thing again. Burl, what's the reason for the salute to railroads this week? Well, Mr. Gallup, this is the big day in railroad history. Tonight, we're commemorating the first transcontinental railroad. Really? Just think, Mr. Gallup. Seventy-eight years ago, at Ogden, Utah, the president of the Southern Pacific Railroad, with thousands cheering, drove a solid gold spike right through the foot of the president of the Union Pacific. <laughs> And if you don't believe it, just go to Ogden, Utah. The president of the Union Pacific is still standing there yelling for a crowbar. <laughs> and that is why tonight we salute the American Railroad. The story of the railroads is the story of America. To tell about it isn't very exciting, but to read about it is even duller. <laughs> It all began in a little carpenter shop in Pennsylvania. An invention was being completed. Better nail it down some more, Hank. Okay, boss. That's it now. More glue. More cement. Right, boss. Now, chain it down. Yes, sir. There, quick. Let me try it. It didn't even budge. Success at last. Thus, the first Pullman window was invented. <laughs> But the mighty railroads went forward. Once they had the Pullman window, they built a car around it. And in 1871, Mr. Pullman himself demonstrated his first sleeping car to a breathless crowd. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a sleeping car. I will now pull aside this green curtain and show for the first time an upper berth. Ready? There. Pardon me, madam. <laughs> yes, it was after this that they put numbers on the curtains. <laughs> then on, on went the mighty railroad. As the progress of railroads continued, safety became the watchword. New devices were added. 
Air brakes, couplings, all steel cars, all for the safety and protection of the passengers. But to this day, the greatest danger facing the innocent traveler on a train still exists. It is this. Pardon me, friend. Care to play a little poker to kill some time? Hmm? Thank you very much. That is the story of the railroads. And today, wherever you are, whatever you are doing, you cannot escape hearing that haunting rhythm of the railroads that so richly fills the air of America. Thank you, Whispering Jack Smith. <laughs> ah, but Mr. Gallup, breathes there a man who hasn't found romance on a train? Remember when you held her hand and sang to that one and only girl? To Niagara on a sleeper, there's nothing of the cheaper of the train goes slow. Ooh, off we're going to shuffle, shuffle off to Buffalo. Ah, Cynthia, shuffling off to Buffalo with my Cynthia. The way she shuffled, you couldn't tell her from the Buffalo. <laughs> Remember, Cynthia, the first time I saw you on the train, how jealous I was because you sat next to the same man for the whole trip. It wasn't until later that I saw the handcuffs. <laughs> Impetuous, fun-loving Cynthia, how you love to stick your head way out of the window train, the train window. It was a Studebaker. <laughs> How you used to laugh when I warned you about the when I warned you about the telephone poles until one day, boing, boing, boing. <laughs> and then Cynthia, when we pulled you in, how frightened I was when I saw that big bump behind your ear. What a relief! It was only your nose. <laughs> but it was the little things I remember about Cynthia, your delicate way of getting off a train. You just lean out the baggage car and let the mail hook snap you off. <laughs> Cynthia, how different you were from the other girls who worked in the roundhouse. You were the only square. Yes, Cynthia. <laughs> I'll never forget the last time that I saw you. You were racing a train to a crossing. I'll bet if you were in a car, you would have made it. <laughs> but don't worry, Cynthia. As soon as they wire you together again... Off we're going to shuffle, shuffle off to Buffalo. And that's the first portion of the Milton Burl Show going back to August 26, 1947, a salute to the railroads starring Milton Burl. And we'll have the second half, the conclusion of that, on our next Hollywood 360 radio show. I want to remind all of our listeners that this radio show, Hollywood 360, is syndicated across the country on nearly 200 radio stations. We're also heard in other parts of the world. And, of course, you can hear us on the Internet. But you can also hear a podcast of this show. What we do is we take all four hours of our program and we podcast it on the Monday after the broadcast. So it's always updated on Monday. Mike Costella works uh, very hard, and so does Rob Feldman, who put that together for us. And you can just go to Hollywood360radio.com here, all four hours of the weekly Hollywood 360 program. And also, this was Lisa's idea because she's really nice 
she said, you know what, we should give our listeners an extra hour. It's kind of a gift, just, you, know? you know, because we appreciate them. Yeah, give them an extra hour of classic radio, something to really look forward like somebody's to. Somebody's got to be nice around yeah. here. Yeah, and so we added... Because Lisa insisted on it, we added an hour more to the uh, to the show. So you can listen to the full four hours plus an additional hour. Just go to Hollywood360radio.com. Check out the podcast. And when you're at our website, please check out our store. And there's photographs. There's all kinds of information about the program. There's specials. There's thousands of pictures of Lisa. And, uh, yeah. That, that covers That it. pretty much covers it. Let's take a break. Then it's more here on the Hollywood 360 Radio Network. More Hollywood 360 after these important messages. And now back to Hollywood 360 with Carl Amari. Well, Lisa, next time here on the Hollywood 360 show, we'll tune in to the conclusion to the Milton Burl show, and then it's the Mole Mystery Theater. You're a mystery. Uh, that's know that? true, yes. Yeah, well, that's what we have for Can't you next argue. time. All right, so Lisa, Carl, and Mike will be here to hopefully entertain you on our next Hollywood 360 show. Thanks for tuning in.